0: welcome to parenting podcast live at Brentwood Oaks in this 12-week session we are inviting guests into our class to help us discuss the question how do i talk to my kids about blank and then we're filling in the blanks with different topics that were selected by our class members through a survey And so as parents and as people who work with kids on a regular basis, uh, it's important that we learn to navigate these critical conversations with each other and then how we translate that then to talking to our kids. So just as a caveat, this is not meant to be an all-inclusive conversation. It's definitely not going to be the end of it. It's really the beginning and so we hope that everyone takes everything they hear and discuss today and then continues that conversation with their peers and their kids um, in the weeks and months to come. So with that, we'd like to introduce James Henley. Should be a familiar face (laughs) to many of us. So James has been at Brentwood Oak since 2012. He has worked as a youth minister for the last 17 years, which is shocking, you don't look old enough for that. So. But the last seven years have been here at Brentwood, and these have been some of his favorites. So he's married to Ashley, and they married in 2005, and they have two little girls, Mallory and Addie. And James likes to spend his time with his family, play and watch sports, listen to and play music, and hang out with middle and high schoolers. So (laughs) you have the perfect job.
1: That all goes together, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You basically are
0: a grown-up teenager. That's it. (laughs) Uh, James has been blessed to find Brentwood Oaks as a place of encouragement and community. Uh, He believes that God placed him here so that he could find those things as well as to be a blessing to us here at Brentwood. And you and um, Ashley definitely are. And I wanna actually, they they did a lot of work last week to put on that great back to school event. Um, I know Ashley was here on Saturday, basically all day setting up the FLC and it looked amazing. So thank y'all for all that you do here at Brentwood. I no problem. wanted to start us out with a poll, if my computer's gonna work. Okay, so if everyone wants to pull out their technology, their phone, we can, we like to start, have some of these just to get everyone a little bit engaged. So you text the number 22333 and then you start your message with Reagan Ward 399 and then choose one of these options on a scale of 1 to 5 how much do you love technology which is 1 and which is 5 oh good a, question
1: ABCDE one there, is
0: huh? like one is you're like I don't care <laughs> I just want to live in a cabin and read a book or something which might also involve technology spoiler alert <laughs> Five what? is like, I love it. I don't, I want to have my phone with me all the time. I'm on all the platforms, things like that.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: You text the letter. The letter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Read the sorry. instructions. Text Reagan w- once and then A, B, C, D, or know, E.
0: Technology is very complicated. And as you can see, this is all. What? Oh, yeah. We just, I did this as percentage on accident. Sorry.
1: But that's fun, too.
0: Yeah. And just to um, full disclosure, I'm probably a five. I love (laughs) technology, so.
1: Yeah. I'm probably a five. So we got a lot of
0: fours for those listening. You said you're a five?
1: Probably.
0: Okay, good to know. Unless
1: we're talking about Enneagram and then no. (laughs) Not me.
0: 70% are at a four. 10% is at a two. And then... 20% is at a five. So we're all pretty much in the fours and fives. So then the next question is, on a scale of one to five, how much does technology scare you? One being it doesn't scare me at all, five being I am terrified. We have a little bit more of a spread here, um, but no no one is a one. No one is not afraid of it at all. So I think that that's pretty telling that this is an important conversation for us to have. Most people are in the three, four, five category. So that's just to kind of get us all a sense of where we are. So with that, <laughs> let's go ahead and start by defining terms. So what I- what do we mean by technology? What is technology?
1: Uh, Man, that's a great question. A lot of different things can be technology, right? At one point, the wheel was considered like the pinnacle of technology. Um, So I really think technology is uh, things that help us do things better. Uh, When you think about the wheel, the pulley, things like that, the lever, things that really helped shape society, they were things that pushed us forward that made some part of our life easier. And so I think for us today though, as we think about technology, really what we're thinking about are digital devices for the most part, right? We're thinking about phones, iPads, computers, uh, things in a digital realm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think probably on that poll, that's where most people's minds were because most of us aren't afraid of an Uh, electric light.
1: Hey, wheels are scary, so... (laughs) They can be. Put them on your feet and then you're really scared, right?
0: (laughs) Why as Christians is this an important topic for us to be thinking about?
1: Well, uh, with every good thing, there are negatives and positives. Uh, and so as Christians, I think part of what we're trying to navigate is how do we take this thing that is so prevalent in our culture, in our world today, and how do we take it and make it, um, make it what it needs to be for the kingdom of God? Whether we like it or not, it's going to be there. Uh, and so for us as Christians, we've got to think about... Um, what's the good here, and what can we take, and what's the bad that we can leave behind, and you know, thinking about our generation, I'm going to say our generation, I'll be 40 in April, so broad stroke there, um, but like I remember my dad bringing home a computer that had the five and a quarter inch floppy disk, you know, and and you know, you had to type code and stuff to make it run programs and all that stuff, and now our kids you know, Addie is three, um, she knows how to uh, turn on the Kindle or whatever and watch Omnom videos all day long, right? And so it, it's a different type of technology. Um, you had to have a certain level of skill set to use it before, whereas now just about anybody can pick it up, it's super intuitive. And so how do we teach our kids about that in a way that's, uh, that they use it in a healthy and Christ-like manner. I don't know that we thought even, you know, 20 years ago when we had cell phones really start to make that entrance into society, like what's the ramifications of this? Uh, We just saw it as, hey, I can make phone calls from my car or from anywhere I'm at, and so if my car breaks down, I've got something. Now we're thinking about our kids and the internet and how that works. Those are two totally different things. And so even in the last 30, 40 years, we've made such tremendous jumps that now as Christians, we've got to go, well, wait a minute. How do we capture this for the glory of God? And how do we keep our kids safe and teach them how to do the same thing?
0: Yeah, and so along those lines, I mean, you work with kids, teenagers all the time. So do you maybe have an example or a story of a way that you've seen technology have a really positive spiritual impact on someone, as well as maybe a story? where it had a really negative effect.
1: Yeah, I tried to think about that this week. I I didn't have a lot of negative stories, like particular stories, but the rise of bullying, uh, (laughs) technology is used to bully in ways that nobody ever dreamed that it would be used. Um, Posting about somebody else, uh, saying harsh things, um, posting pictures of people that uh, they have no business posting or even taking in the first place. Um, there's a wide variety there of ways that it's being used to bully people. Um, so I don't have a specific one for that, but I, I will say on the, on the positive side, I think there's a way that, um, that kids can use them for good. So I was talking to one of our high schoolers after our mission trip, and they had posted a bunch of stuff about the trip. Um, posted scripture that that was really on their heart. From that, they posted pictures of their buddy, talked about their relationship there, and um, they had several of their friends from school comment and say, "What did you do? What's going on here?" And so they were using it as a tool to start conversations. Now, not every kid's going to do that, obviously, but what a tremendous impact there! And then I, I would I would kind of piggyback off of that and say. Um, we've got a lot of kids that use it to encourage each other. And I think this is a huge, huge thing for technology and communication is to be able to say to somebody, hey, I know you're going through this right now, and I'm so sorry. Uh, we had a student lose one of their parents this, uh, this past summer. And so um, being able to use technology, even if you don't see them all the time, to be able to say to them, hey, we know you're going through something difficult. We're here for you and we have your back that's a huge thing for the church to build that community in that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, totally. And, um, if you don't mind, I want to kind of jump into, I thought leads me to think about this question. Yeah. is just the way that technology has changed our definition of community, because when the church was established, your community was very much your physical proximity who was in your town, in your neighborhood, you, you know, you could only go so far. And so a lot of what the first church, century church was dealing with was like, you're a Jew, I'm a Gentile, we have to be together in this church. How do we make this work for the glory of God? How do we tear down these barriers and um, learn to prefer one another? Uh, and so now, so much of our communities are digital and we can kind of set the parameters and define those ourselves and they can be, just as an example, um, I'm in a moms group that's Christian moms that I went to school with and we are spread out throughout the United States. and. We're all very similar and going through very similar things, and there's not a ton of friction in that group. Um, so, you know, we have more and more of those. So, what does that? What do you think that means for the church? And how can we teach our kids about the importance of engaging and interacting with the church community that's here and now when they're increasingly participating in all of these virtual?
1: communities. Yeah, so I I think those virtual communities are good things for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. Like what you're talking about, you've got friends that are all over the country. Um, I think about our kids in our middle school and high school group that go to Blue Haven and they meet people from other places and they continue those relationships throughout the year. That's a good thing for the most part, right? A healthy thing. But I also think, you know, what you were saying about communities being... um, you know, we were forced to, for a long time, be community in person. And uh, I'm not, I don't think we should let go of that. I think communication is a really, really difficult thing. And I know you probably have had the same experience I have, but when you text someone or email someone, your tone doesn't always come through, or your facial expressions, like they're not getting that, uh, or your vocal tone. There's so many things that don't come across in technology that are so very important. You know, I, I'm kind of a sarcastic person. Sometimes I like to joke, and so I try to use emoji, right, <laughs> to, to make up the difference, but... Winky face. Yeah, and I'm like, winky face, what does that mean though? Could that be something <laughs> bad and terrible? Um, and I think, I think that um, we can't let go of the in-person community because there's valuable um, communication to be had there through nonverbal, verbal um, physical touch, as far as appropriate physical touch in community, Man, we shake hands with each other, we pat each other on the back, give somebody a hug. Those are good things that are a part of building community. And so I I think technology is really great to do some things really quickly and really well, but at the same time, it can't replace shaking someone's hand and looking them in the eye. I think there's room for both there, uh, and I think we should be using technology to continue those relationships, but as far as community goes, you can't hug someone through a screen, uh, you just can't. And so uh, sometimes people need that.
0: Well, and I, w- it, when we started this class, we kind of used this Acts two forty two through 47 as an example of doing life together as, as home builders, as a church. And so I went through that and just kind of highlighted some of the things that you can actually really only do in person. Fellowship, you can maybe argue with me on that one a little bit, but breaking bread, being together, having all things in common, common, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Um, so, so many of these things are things that we can really only do when we are physically together. But then at the same time, I went back through and looked at like, here are some things that we can now do, to your point, we can do better in a lot of ways because of technology. So apostles teaching, anyone who's taught a class, you know, has probably Googled a number of things that other I don't know people what you're <laughs> talking about
1: buddy.
0: um books in Never general just like having a print the printed word is due to technology prayer ways that we can share our prayer requests mm-hmm. distributing the proceeds to all knowing about needs and then Venmoing or PayPal to get those needs met um you know so it's kind of like you're saying it's some of those things we can do better now but we still need that element.
1: Yeah, it's nice when some of you jokers owe me for movie tickets that you can just video (laughs) me. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's good, it works. Right, it makes
0: your community better that you're not hounding people. Keeping the
1: good and saying there's some things that can't be replaced.
0: Right, yeah. Um, So I just wanted to kind of open it up for a minute and see before we jump into some other questions if there's any questions in the room. Anything anyone else wanted to ask James? We'll have a chance later as well, but...
1: Go for it. question
2: I have is, I think our children or the next generation is gonna feel this effect of needing constant affirmation. We have so many more platforms that allow for affirmation and long for it versus the generation of our parents that in person you received affirmation, maybe over the phone. But how do we address that? That as a Christian, you need to be very aware and constantly affirming people as much as you can because people are hungry for this and seeking these platforms. Is that something like we talk about or do we build them up in a way where they don't expect it? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I I think. Look at me. (laughs) Hey, you're up here too at this table. Um, I thought this was a conversation, Reagan. You have all the answers, right? Uh, So I think, I think about myself as a parent, uh, I have an 8-year-old and a 3-year-old, and they know already at that point, just like your kids do, that if I'm doing this, the chances of them being heard are much, much lower. And so I think when we talk about affirmation, obviously we do want to affirm our kids, it's a lot harder to do that when this is in our hand, right? And they know that, and they pick up on it, and they call you on it. I don't know if you've ever been called out by your kids, Mm -hmm. but you're doing something on your phone, and then all of a sudden they're like, dad, 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 and you're like, oh, it like snaps you out of that trance. And so I think affirmation needs to continue with us realizing that even though these are wonderful, powerful devices that can do great things to help us in a lot of different ways, they are never gonna help us affirm our children, ever. And I, I forget that, I forget that a lot, just like probably you do. And maybe that's the pendulum swing for us, is that we went from nothing to having everything, and now we forget that sometimes it's okay to take it out of our pocket and turn it upside down and leave it alone. And so I think for us as parents, one of the challenges that we're facing with our kids is um, if they don't get our attention because we're giving it to our phone, they're going to find it somewhere else. And those affirmations are going to come from somewhere. And so does that mean as they get into middle school and high school, that person they're dating, that their affirmations are going to come there? Uh, Is it a teacher that's going to have maybe a positive or perhaps a negative influence on them? Um, We have tremendous power as parents to affirm our children and to keep them Faithful. Uh, I was talking to these guys about a book that I read a few years ago called Sticky Faith, and one of the things they said that was the greatest indicator of a child's faith moving forward was the faith of their parents, number one across the board. Now, it's not a silver bullet like, okay, if I'm faithful, my kids will be faithful, but it was at least two-thirds of the kids who saw their parents being faithful Christians continued in the faith themselves. That's a huge number. And so when we think about technology and affirmation and the influence that you have, I think Facebook or Instagram or whatever game you're playing at this moment, man, we've all got to remember to put it in the back seat. put it on the charger, put it away. Um, I love the tech-wise stuff that we were talking about for a while last year. An hour a day, a day a week, a week a month. Is that right? Something a week like a year. A week a year. Yeah, week a month. Wow, that'd be... That'd be hard. Uh, and that's where we're at, right? So, I don't know. Affirmations, I think, come when we decide decide to do it. Uh,
0: um, thank you, everyone, for questions. Uh, we're going to continue to move on with the questions that I have here. And, again, we'll open it back up before we close. Uh, but one question I have is about really the the Bible and how we deal with this issue of technology because the Bible was written in such a specific context and there was, they had, could have no idea at the time. God knew, but the people writing it could not have known what was coming in the realm of technology. Um, so even though we consider it to be inspired and God breathed, there is there some sort of limitation to how the Bible can we use to address this. Is it outdated in some way, or is it useful when we're talking to our kids and to others about technology and the way we interact with it?
1: Yeah, so uh, fun, fun question to answer. Um, I I think that at the time the issues they faced were different in some ways, but the principles are still the same. Mm. Uh, and so, looking at scripture we always look at it through the lens of culture, right? We can't help it. So when we think about the issues that we face with technology and things of that nature, we're always going to read scripture and go, well, they didn't have that problem. No, but they had other problems that were prevalent in their culture at the same time. Uh, and so really it's the, the things that we take away from it. The, the, the principles remain the same. Uh, what was the other part of that? Sorry, I forgot the last part.
0: Uh, just how can we? Is it
1: relevant? Not yeah, relevant. Yeah, it outdated. Yeah, is and it limited. It outdated. If you if you claim that scripture outdated. is outdated, yeah, outdated. Um, new version coming out. Um, <laughs> then I think I think you've you've put scripture in a place where it doesn't need to be. Right. Um, it's either true or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and talking about not being relevant, uh, I can't go there personally. Um, but I think. I think really holding onto those principles and drawing those out. Um, Do we serve created things or do we serve the creator? uh, So there's a lot of different ways we can go with that and still find things that are helpful to us as parents. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And so when I was kind of researching for this class, one thing I read about was how technology changes the way we think in so many different ways. So community being one of those. But another thing that's really interesting, and I'm sure we've all experienced this, is that it's actually changing the way we read and the way we consume content. So unlike, I mean, we're finding it harder to read novels and things like that because now we scan for keywords, we search for links, we just grab the bits of information. Um, we're used to 120, 240 characters, whatever Twitter is. So how can we teach our kids about read, how to read the Bible and encourage Bible reading in a world where, where the way we read is changing?
1: Yeah, so um, quick poll, show of hands. Who reads um, digital books? Digital books exclusively? Okay, who likes paper? Like, put it, okay. Um, Bible, talk to me about Bible. Who uses their phone as their Bible? Whoa, who who, like brings it? Okay, me and like four people, cool. (laughs) Um, So the reason I ask that is, uh, so I guess a couple of years ago, three or four years ago now, um, we noticed in our middle school and high school classes that if a kid had their phone using the Bible, chances are they honestly started that way. But by the end of class, they were not in the Bible, right? And so we decided to give every sixth grader their senior Bible. So every kid that enters the door has access to a paper Bible. I love technology, but I can't stand reading. I don't know how y'all read the Bible on your phone. So this is like the old man, like, get off my lawn type thing for me. <laughs> but there's something about holding and opening and seeing on the page and my underlines and the notes that I wrote and going, okay, that's what I was thinking there. And I think spatially it's important. I know we, uh, there, there's good stuff about technology, so I don't want to bash it too hard. But I think especially with Scripture, you know, for me, I, I think about where something's at on a page. I can't do that on my phone. Now, I use my phone to search. Like if if I'm looking for a scripture and I know the scripture and like the words are coming to me, I'll search for it to go, now where was that again? But, man, as far as actually picking up, context is so huge when it comes to scripture. Mm -hmm. And so, like we talked in our high school class a couple weeks ago about the story of Jacob and um, Leah and Rachel, but really we skipped ahead to the end and we were talking about the part of the story where... um, Jacob is wanting to leave. He's worked his 14 years for both Leah and Rachel. And uh, and now he wants to go and he wants to be paid for his work. Fair enough. And um, Laban says, yeah, you can have all the spotted and speckled sheep. Well, then Laban tries to pull the fast one on him and, and uh, do some crazy stuff. And then Jacob figures out a way to get the sheep to mate anyway. And so all the sheep become spotted and speckled because of the way Jacob goes about things. Well, if you don't read the first part of that story and realize that Jacob was tricked by Laban <laughs> into marrying Leah first, so he could get another seven years out of him, well, then you've missed kind of the whole dynamic of the story. So context is such a powerful and important thing. You may have remembered a verse from when you were a kid or, or you were in a Bible class or at some point in your life. The context of that matters. And I think with technology and keywords and links and things of that nature, all good things, but at some point we lose context. And when you lose context, things can mean anything. Um, you know, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Right. Philippians 4.13, well, the context of that passage is talking about being content. It's saying, whether I have everything I need or nothing at all, I am good. Christ is with me. I can survive any situation because God is with me. It's not, if I just pray and ask God, he'll help me to do anything. No, he's talking about being content with where he's at. And so, as we talk to our kids about scripture man, let them use the Bible app. The Bible app for kids, man, that thing's cool. I like playing with that. Like find the little gems in there. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do that. But there's something about context that I don't know that digital Bibles gives us. Aside from all the notifications that are gonna come in and distract us and take us away from things, the, the ability to see, well, okay, so this story here, oh, back over here, this is what was happening, okay so much easier in this context mm-hmm. and I, I I don't want us to lose as the people of God the context of scripture because then we become people who use it to bash other people with or to prove our point and that's not the point of scripture.
0: Yeah I'd never thought about that that I'm so adamant about using a paper book when I'm reading a novel but then with my bible I use my phone all the time so yeah that's interesting.
1: Well challenged there you go. Yeah
0: convicted. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another Thing that I think would fall into things that we're afraid of when it comes to technology. Philippians 4 8 um, says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I think when it comes to technology, this verse could go a lot of different ways, but what I was thinking about is that Christians should be focusing on whatever is true. And we know there is so much false information on the internet and that's dangerous for us, that's dangerous for our kids. So how do we teach our kids to really think critically about the things that they're seeing on the internet and social media um, and really focus on whatever is true?
1: Wait, you mean there are things on the internet that aren't true? (laughs) What, (laughs) fake news? I've never heard of this (laughs) concept before. Um, so, uh, I think, so that's a bigger question too. It's not just how do we get our kids to look at scripture in that light, but how do we, as far as culture and technology, how do we weigh, and so we're really teaching our kids to think critically. But I think as Christians, our task is to teach our kids to think critically through the lens of, of God. And so, um, my friend Keith Stanglin taught for for me this last spring with high schoolers, and he said, here's kind of the order. As we think about the ways to think through things, did he already do this with you guys? That's oh, okay. man. That's all right,
0: sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> <Keith>. <laughs> he didn't talk about that last week, but no, please, if anyone was I here. mean, I think
1: that's true. I yeah. think as we look at scripture, we look at church uh, tradition, as we look at uh, Logic, reason, yeah. there we go, and experience, like helping our kids walk through that, we don't slow down long enough to actually think through a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So when you see that headline on Facebook and you go, "Oh my goodness, could that be true?" and you click it, they're like, "Ha ha, we've won!" Um, but do we stop long enough to go, "Okay, is this true? Is this right?" And so I think for us, not only is it the lens that we look at it through, but taking the time to stop long enough to go, mm-hmm. "Now wait a minute, is that really true? What does Scripture tell me about that? What has the church said for a long time about that?" What what's logic, what, what logic works here and, and what do I know to be true, um, if we stop long enough to actually think about that, I think that those are the things that we need to be teaching our kids, stop long enough to think, stop long enough to compare it and run through this, this lens and filter, not everything needs to be run, run through that right, but as we talk about things of ethics and uh, what's true, what's not, I think yeah. it's important to slow down.
0: Well, and that's Amanda brought up last week that she often introduces questions to her kids that they're not asking. So I think that's a great point about like, when we are reading these things, talking through our thought process and asking the questions that maybe our kids aren't asking and letting them hear us work through it. Because we're still working through so many of these things.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So um, any other questions for James before we have a, we have about 10 minutes left. So I want to make sure that if anyone has any thoughts, doesn't have to be a question, could
1: be a comment. That's you guys' long. class lasts so much longer than mine. So. <laughs>
3: James, I wanted to ask you um, at school last week we also were talking about communication and phones came up and kids, the kids reacted when we, I said like, have phones ever interrupted a conversation, Uh, whether it's like you're playing on the phone or your parents are playing on the phone. And when I said, oh, your parents are playing on the phone, everybody was like, uh, or they were looking at their phone for an email or whatever. So it was a big response from the kids. Mm -hmm. So what boundaries, have you found any like successful boundaries for you as Mm -hmm. a parent? Um, just some practical things in terms of like, I come home at five to seven. I put it or what? What? What has worked for you, or have you done anything?
1: Yeah, and that, so. I am not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I am not perfect. Um, yesterday, I played a game for like two hours on my phone in the morning. So I don't want to be a hypocrite here. Um, my kids were watching a show. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Saturday. Why? W- it's Saturday, man. It's Saturday. Um, I've heard that reaction from kids over and over. I, I had a kid tell me, I won't tell you who it was, obviously, but <laughs> I had a kid tell me that they know they won't have a real conversation with their mom or that their mom won't hear them if they have their phone in their hand. And so uh, I know, like, if you have an iPhone, there's that screen time thing that you can look at. All of you are like, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my report came in. We're not going to talk about that this morning. Um, but... Uh, And a lot of us use our phones for business, right? Uh, A lot of us use our phones to do that type of thing. But at the same time, you can set limits for yourself. You can set limits for days. Um, I should probably do that Um, (laughs) for Saturday mornings. Um, But I think just being cognizant of I need to do something about this before it gets to the point where my kids disregard my presence when I'm on that device what a powerful thing that that a rectangle can do. You know, we talk all the powerful things it does. It alienates us from our kids if we're not careful. And so...
3: It matters, like, us thinking about, like, these are all the dangers, but then when kids say the reality and the real thing, like, and it shouldn't be something that we feel guilty about, or, but we shouldn't be thinking about it.
1: I don't think guilt's a bad thing in that context, right? Like, I should feel guilty that Yesterday I played a game on my phone instead of hanging with my kids. Right? I should feel bad about that, and I think guilt is a powerful thing—not in a negative way, but in a positive way—to help us see where it is we are and where we need to be. And so, you know, when that screen time report comes in, and you go, "How many hours?" I don't know. Maybe that's your sign to say, "I gotta, I gotta put a limit on this app. I gotta put a limit on how long I can do this, that, or the other."
2: to get their attention, we're probably not as polite Mm -hmm. about getting their attention. I don't ever know what you mean.
1: (laughs) If if my daughter's not responding, it's like, you need to respond, or you're getting drunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't have the same response to us, but we don't really hear that. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I uh, was going to ask, have you seen it? So um, have you seen a trend in lack of Bible knowledge from the kids coming into middle school, high school? And if so, do you think that is because of technology? Because they're not
1: in the word in a physical Bible? That's a good question. I don't know that I have any... I don't have any hard data for sure. Um, I will say it's the choice, right? And so um, we we didn't talk about FOMO today, but... The fear of missing out is a very powerful thing in our culture that we experience as well as our kids. But, you know, when there are 100 options of things that you can do, well, what am I going to miss out on? Are my friends all playing Fortnite? Nobody plays Fortnite anymore, but <laughs> thank goodness. Like, glad that's over. But, like, maybe they do. Maybe, I don't know. If um, but, like, am I going to miss out on what's happening with my friends? And if so, that's the choice I'm going to make over doing other things. And so I, I would say that's probably at work as far as, um, if there is a drop-off there, I would guess that would be the reason for it. Not do, you do you think it's because
2: they're, like, I guess what I meant was like whether they're using the bubble on the phone or paper Bible,
1: do you? you yeah, I, I don't, uh, there's no, I don't know that I've seen a trend either way on that. Um, I will say the kids that seem to know Bible better are the ones that have made choices. Um, it's not private school kids over public school kids. Uh, there's there's no delineators there. It's just the kids that decide whether they go to Blue Haven or they go to Tulsa or something like that and they make that decision like I know I need to be in the word. You can see the difference when they come back from those things that it's made a difference in the real world with them. So, whereas I don't know if I could tell you sixth graders coming in, um, I can tell you those that go and experience those things and are convicted, they make those decisions and they're the ones that (laughs) seem to know Scripture better. (coughs) Katie, you had a question?
4: I just wanted to just plug the book that you mentioned earlier, uh, TechWise. We had a class a year ago with uh, uh, Jackie and uh, Charlie, and it's a really small book. Um, but it's really, really good for young, um, parents of young kids coming up. I mean, our kids were kind of right on the cusp when we tried, it's very practical, uh, but it's very much um, relational based first. It's very much like, you have to build those relationships with your kids. You have to make uh, relationships and community important in your family. And then from there, you can set these parameters, you know, um, on how to, To deal with technology in your home, it gives very practical um, suggestions on how to use technology and how to limit it and how to put it in its proper place so that um, you're keeping relationships. And it's a very easy read, so I would recommend it. We had several people in the class that had kids a few years older than us, and they had conversations and they didn't go so well, (laughs) you know, because their kids are already they're trying to take back. Work backwards, and it's so much easier working forwards. The young mm-hmm. kids are if you start some of the kind of suggestions that he makes in the book um, on how to use it earlier. I think it makes a huge difference. Uh, we had we had a little pushback, and we haven't been really consistent necessarily with all of them, but um, we had a lot less than teenage kids, and I'm sure younger the, younger, the better. So I yeah. say that was a, that's a great resource if you're looking for a way to to put limits on yourself and your family and how how to balance that. Absolutely. Um, And just
5: talking from sort of where Mallory and I are coming from in our profession, um, in working with children with disabilities, or um, I have children in middle school who truly have addictions. And it all started really with their addiction to technology when you sort of unravel it with parents and like their behavior started to change around sixth grade and it, it was the introduction of technology and it's a very dangerous, wide open world out there and without tons and tons of supervision, it's just so easy for them to get off track. And, but my biggest plug is there's so much research out there, and I'm guilty of it, of um, exposing young brains that are still developing to this instant gratification that they receive from technology and it truly does damage their brain. Like we're truly seeing that the wiring that needs to happen in their frontal lobe is not happening properly, which is why they have no impulse control, they need instant gratification, you know, There's, and they have no patience, you know, and it's because they're expecting to receive that same sort of immediate stimuli response that they get from technology. And so it's causing struggling readers, it's causing just struggling social skills. And I have just sort of an anecdotal experience from a parent, they are um, an Indian family, and their kiddo met criteria for autism, and we were, he was in a program for autism, and they decided they would remove all technology from the child, so before it was like, give him the iPad, he won't throw this fit. And over just a year and a half, he was a completely different Child, like we dismissed him, he no longer had speech and language issues, he no longer had those, um, you know, huge fits. I mean, it was no, he didn't meet criteria anymore for autism. He was a, an odd duck, but you know, a lot of us are. Um, but it was, it was that substantial. And the parents, now the parents are going to other parents saying,
1: like, just don't, don't stick advice in front of them. Yeah, that's my club. I think our laziness as parents doesn't help our kids. And whether that means us being lazy and saying, I'm just going to veg out here for a few minutes, and then an hour and a half goes by, Um, or us saying, I don't want to hear, I don't want to fight that fight today, and just give them whatever they're looking for. That laziness doesn't pay off at all, ever. And it's hard to do the right thing all the time. Uh, So don't beat yourself up. If you're, you as a parent, just go, here you go, kid. Um, But think a little bit more. Like, we all gotta be people who think a little bit more about what it is we're doing, what it is we're giving our kids. It has a lasting impact. So, thank you for sharing that story. One thing I hadn't thought of that Brandon and Reagan do
2: (laughs) is they you think you're Alexa. Um, (laughs) Because your kids listen to the way you talk to her and demand, set me a timer, play me this music, you know. (laughs) These different things that I hadn't even thought about the way we talk to this robot servant of ours, <laughs> 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 and we're to our kids, we speak to people who serve us, and that hadn't even entered my thought process until we did that. And we were like, "Oh well, we better change our name to Computer before we have kids <laughs> But still, it's something to think about that we're then introducing them. You know, how do we speak to things that serve us?
0: Yeah, and we we have to wrap up and grab kids, but I do just want to, you know, end on a message of hope and. You know, we've talked a lot about fears and things like that, but I think what you have said is technology's here, it's not going away, this is our world now, this is our life now, and so being intentional, adding another layer of thought and of um, communication to the way we interact with all these things, and then embracing them for the glory of God and moving all of these things in the positive direction as we would anything in our life. So thank you so much for being here today. Would you mind closing us in a a prayer and then go get our kids? All
1: right. Lord, we are so thankful for the day and time you have placed us here. We're so thankful that we get to be in community with each other and that we get to uh, work through life together. And so thank you for the blessing that that is here at Brentwood Oaks. Uh, God, we thank you for the wonderful technology that fills our world. We thank you for the incredible things that... It has helped us do, but God, we pray that we will be people who uh, don't worship the technology, but we worship you instead. Uh, God, help us to keep it in perspective about what it is and where it belongs and how it can glorify you. Uh, Lord, help us to look for those ways. Help us to teach our children how to interact with this world that we live in. Um, Help us to be strong as parents. We're all so tired all the time, no matter the circumstance. And God, I just pray that you'll help us to have the energy and the strength we need to make the right decision, a decision that will honor and glorify you. We're so very thankful that you love us despite our shortcomings, despite the ways that we make mistakes with our kids. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. We pray for our children that they will grow to know you. Um, And God, a part of that, we pray that our lives um, will become more and more like Christ. Uh, and that our children will see that and want to be like you as well. Uh, Thank you for loving us and guiding us. Help us through this process, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we say, Amen. Amen.